Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thank you so much for tuning in. We've been working on this for a long time, and it's really exciting to finally bring you the first episode. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beisler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what the song will be until we hit play. You have no idea what song we are covering today. But I'm ready for it. I know that you spent uh, you spent days researching this this uh, elusive hit. So I am ready for it. It's probably good for our audience to know that I do not know all these things off the top of my head. I had to do <laughs> do some research. Full disclosure. We're gonna play the first song we're covering on "You Wanted a Hit." I'm too sexy. Yeah, for my love's going to me. You obviously know what we're listening to here. <laughs> I mean, within within a two beats, anyone would know this song. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I, I picked this song for a reason. I know it's a really obvious one. Like, if we're talking about ridiculous songs that ended up being phenomena, uh, this, this comes to mind, like, probably pretty instantly. But I wanted to cover it because... This is the song that inspired the idea for the show. I can understand why. I mean, if you told someone the concept for this podcast, I would say that three to four songs would immediately come to mind. And this would definitely be one of the top three for sure. My wife, Jamie and I were at the beach and we were just like, I think playing cards or something. And I I thought it'd be fun to just put on a one hit wonder playlist. And we won't only be covering one hit wonders, but we're just starting with one. And um, this song came on and we were both like laughing about it. And I said, like, what had to happen in order for this song to become so ubiquitous in our culture? Like this song is a part of our world's vernacular. Everybody knows this song. Everyone. We yeah. s- People still talk about this song. It's still in movies. It, it, it's crazy. So. That's when I said to Jamie, you know what? I feel like that would be a great podcast is talking about unlikely songs that became massive because we all know, you know, there's plenty of songs where like, I know why that's popular. Like, I understand why this is such a huge song. (laughs) This is not one of them. This is this song (laughs) musically, uh, uh, conceptually, the vocal delivery, the music video, everything is just positively bizarre and absurd i'm excited to check out this music video because i can only imagine i'm sure i've seen it but i don't remember it at all and i can only imagine oh, it's like tattooed on my brain from the 90s <laughs> i don't even know who wrote this song honestly like or who. well we're gonna find out we're gonna find out okay <laughs> because it's a song you know but I, I like if you had asked me before this like who wrote, who sang the song i don't know that i could definitively give an artist's name but of course everyone knows the song do you know who sings the song? I, I just because I, I quickly looked it up. Otherwise, when I know the and I recognize the name, right said Fred. But other than that, give me the lowdown on right said Fred. This song is by a band 
Name right, said Fred. That was a whole band. It's a band. See, there you go. Didn't you know that? I think I knew that because there's there's two guys in the music video, but they look very similar to each other. I also, for some reason, growing up, thought they were German. I don't know why. They're not. Right said Fred is two English brothers, Richard and Fred Fairbrass. So one of the guys' name is Fred. First off, Right Side Fred is a great punk band name. And nothing about this screams punk. <laughs> Interesting you say that. They were in a band called The Actors. Another, the, the, that's a great 90s uh, punk band name. As well. Yeah, so this is actually the early 80s when they were in The Actors. I tried so hard to find The Actors music because I wanted to play the original like incarnation of Right Said Fred. You can't find their music anywhere. And I found maybe five or six mentions of the actors, and that's including their Wikipedia, the Rights of Fred's Wikipedia. The only thing anyone seems to remember is that this band played one show opening up for Joy Division and Suicide at the factory in Manchester, which is like the pinnacle of yeah. the, the you know early new wave scene, like a huge deal. And they, Interesting. Con- I, okay. I, uh, I read an interview with the, the brothers of Right Said Fred, uh, where they talked about that show. And I, I found a, a flyer, even, that's like a really cool punk flyer with like a gorilla on it that has the bill on it. And it's pretty cool. Did they ever record any music or is it just, like, just not out there? I can't tell. Uh, if they did, you can't find it anywhere. So Fred of Right Said Fred right, of course. said, we never really fit in. When everybody else was doing post-punk new, new wave, we were busy doing sort of acoustic power pop. We just didn't fit. We were on the road in the UK uh, from the late 70s to the early 80s, and then we moved to New York City. Like most musicians, we got part-time jobs, and we both worked in gyms. Mm, okay, okay. A little foreshadowing for their one major hit. Yeah, a little <laughs> foreshadowing, yes. Before they formed Right Said Fred, this is kind of wild, Richard was a session bassist, and he played on recordings for Boy George, Mick Jagger, and David Bowie. Okay. He's also in the Bowie film Jasmine for Blue Jean. Mm. And then Fred played guitar with Bob Dylan, uh, and he he played played guitar on um, Hearts of Fire. Oh, shit. Which is wild. So anyway, they leave New York City and they start a new project. It's called Right Said Fred. And it is named after a song called Right Said Fred. (laughs) That was popular in the UK in 1962 by a guy named Bernard Cribbins. So we're going to need to hear. Uh, I should not be surprised that I don't know who that is, right? Right, said Fred, both of us together, one each end and steady as we go. Tried to shift it, couldn't even lift it. We was getting nowhere. And so. This is a popular song. So that was, uh, was England. <laughs> At one point, this was pop music. Uh, yeah, we, we were over here uh, inventing rock and roll, and then they were doing this. <laughs> uh, so they start, they start this band together, a new band. Uh, and it turns out there was a third guy, too. Rob Manzoli. He joined in 1990, and he was... He sounds like a guy that would work at the gym. Is that how they met him? 
Because if you're going to meet a guy in New York City that works at a gym, Rob Manzoli is going to be uh, going to be the nameplate there. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they met him at the gym, but the the story goes of they were in the studio just like messing around trying to trying to write and record songs, and they were having drinks in the studio, and somebody starts messing around with the bass line, and Apparently, the bass line was actually the melody, I'm Too Sexy. Oh. So the I am too sexy. That was the, I can see that. that okay. okay. bass line. Yeah, it makes sense. So they keep having drinks, keep having drinks. And things get a little wild. One of the guys leaves the room and then comes back in with his shirt off. As one does. I mean, like, it's exactly how I want <laughs> I this song. To I'm actually, I'm so happy that this song is, is leading to a place of being ironic and, and more of a joke, it's sounding like, rather than someone taking it very seriously. Apparently, they've been going to the gym a lot, obviously, because they've been working in gyms, and they're all in really good shape. And so he takes off his shirt, and he starts singing I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt to the bass line that they had just been playing. And, and that's it. Gold. The guys thought it was funny. And they were like, well, this is a stupid idea for a song. <laughs> but then they just kept playing it while they were drunk. <laughs> and the rest is history. So it turns out the whole song is satire. That's, it makes me so happy. And they're making, they're making fun of the, the meatheads at the gym like that, that they saw while they were working there. Like, that's really what the song's about. Uh, but they were gym rats, too. So like it's, you know, it's all in jest. When the song came out, they they were getting interviewed a lot about like thought that they were these like these dumb guys that actually thought that they were the sexiest things on earth, and they were like, "No, we're making fun of the people who walk around New York City and London thinking they're the sexiest people on earth." Oh, like this, this is the song that's playing in those people's heads, <laughs> and, which is kind of brilliant. And then probably got played in many gyms and many clubs yeah. with those gym rats. Well, it's like uh, it's like Born in the USA or Oki from Muskogee, like songs that were satire that everyone was didn't really get the joke. Yeah. Wow. I I would not have put this song on the pantheon of either of those two. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Merle Haggard, Bruce Springsteen, right side front. (laughs) If there was a Mount Rushmore of, of American musicians, yeah. American musicians and three English guys. Fair point. Yeah, okay. I found it amazing that the the bassist who plays on the song, he did it in one take, and it's not sampled or looped. He's just playing the same bass line the whole time for like three minutes. All right. Which for like a dance song. This is not one of the three guys, right? I don't think so. I was trying to keep it all straight. I think there were four guys in the studio at the time. So anyway, so they get the song, bass, piano, vocals. They have like a little bit of drums. But they all knew that if it's going to be this jokey, sexy song, it's got to have more of a beat to it. So somehow they meet a DJ named Tommy D. Which is just sounds like a college DJ who plays in frat basements. Oh, see, I'm I'm still on the, the gym connection here. I feel like Tommy D Tommy is your D, boy at the sense. gym from South Jersey. Yeah. Uh, who, who's your buddy from JMU who is a DJ? Uh, you. No, uh, he was, I think he was in your fraternity. Oh, B-Rob. 
B Rob, same thing. DJ Tommy D, DJ B Rob. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they bring the track to Tommy D, and they say he created a new banging track. Which honestly, that beat is pretty banging. Wait, wait, I gotta, was, I gotta was, hand it to. This a quote from the eighties, early nineties. I, I think it might have been a more recent, uh, recent interview. But he made. I think it's more track. recent vernacular. Wait, when did this song come out? I'm Too Sexy was released in 1992. Okay. Yeah, that tracks right. I was, I was five years old, not to, not to date myself. I was a young stud going into kindergarten. Well, young stud walking into kindergarten to I'm Too Sexy. Makes sense. Just feeling, feeling hot about this song. I love this. So they're working on the track with Tommy D, right? Tommy D produces music in a studio that had been actually closed. And... If you gave a janitor some money, they'd open it up at night. And as long as you don't turn on any lights, you could just like go in there and do whatever you want. <laughs> they were in this like abandoned studio and they said it was freezing because it was wintertime and there wasn't any heat. But uh, they would have to work off the lights that came from the equipment. Whoa. On this track. It's a true rock and roll right here. <laughs> right? Right side I mean, red. Okay. These guys play with Joy Division. <laughs> true. True. Are they signed to a label at this point? They are not. They're independent. But they they wanted to send it around to some some labels. So they're cutting the song. It's a joke, but they know that like, oh shit, we got something here. Like this is this is gonna work. Yeah. This is this is yeah good for the the environment of, of what what other I'm sure you looked this up. Well, what other hits were happening around this time? We'll talk know? about that later. Okay, that's one of the climate that they are thinking that we need to freeze our asses off in a dark studio. We have to lay the tracks down around too sexy because the world needs to hear this song on the cusp of like Euro house kind of taking over in the mid nineties. I think this was probably something kind of welcome in the time of like grunge and gangster. Rap. True. Okay. That makes sense. Like things were, things were kind of dark at this time. So let's get like a, let's go back to the, the eighties bangers as, uh, as one says, right. Said Fred said, Right, as right Fred said. <laughs> Sending it around to record companies. Every label says no. This isn't going to work. I mean, age-old story, but also, this song is really stupid. Yeah, I was going to say, can you blame them? <laughs> I can't imagine getting that tape and being like, this is, this is the shit. This is the next big hit for us. No, but you know that every A&R guy that passed on this song, if they were to re- recount the this time now, thirty years later, they'd be like, "I knew it was gonna be it. I knew it was gonna be it." But uh, it just wasn't right for our label. But I knew it was gonna be hit. I felt but it. it wasn't the right timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was gonna be. I knew it was gonna be yeah. big, though. Yeah, I knew it was gonna be big. Uh, we wanted them to get some more tour dates under their belt. <laughs> yeah. The question then goes: How did this become a huge international hit that we are still talking about in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one? So they took it to this studio and label called red bus in london which is just red bus (laughs) quite london yeah (laughs) and they talk to the receptionist they play her the song and she says i'll tell you what i think this is a hit record it's always the receptionist man if you look at the the history of rock and roll the receptionists make the difference if i can get this on the radio you gotta let me manage your band so that's her deal Okay. From what okay. I've read, she's got some gusto. She was I like only it. like eighteen, and said this to these guys. So 
they said, if you can get us on the radio, you can do whatever you want. God damn. <laughs> so they told her, like, get us on the radio, we'll give you 20% of everything. <laughs> I guess, like, it makes sense that a teenager would like this, think it's amusing. Maybe. But the fact that she said, I'm going to manage your band, give me 20%, is incredible. Like, that is... Yeah. But again, the, the fact that the starting point is in Europe makes a little more sense given the time period and what was happening in music at the time. But the song is a little more like Euro housey in general. Like th- this could not have broken in America first. Yeah. I wouldn't think she would know like this is going to be a huge hit in America. Her name is Tamsin Aronowitz. And I couldn't find anything else about her online. I think this is her legacy. She brought the world. I'm too sexy. And then ghosted. That's what I can tell. Love it. <laughs> if you're gonna have a legacy, she probably made some good money. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. She's probably still making. If she's still making twenty percent on this, then yeah, she's she's probably made some good coin on the song. She knew a record promoter named Guy Holmes. You know who Guy Holmes is? The name sounds familiar, but I don't. So he was like a total like London music vet. He'd been around through the eighties, nineties. He like helped launch. U2, Duran Duran, Tom Jones. Okay. Uh, I think I think he even was involved with like David Guetta. Like he's done a ton of stuff. Yeah. So apparently she knew him. They were somewhere and she persuaded him to give her a ride home. And when she's in the car, she puts the I'm too, Se- too sexy tape in the tape player in his car. Mm, this is like textbook. If there yeah. were music industry classes back in 92, this is what they'd be teaching you. <laughs> Somehow get in the car with a with a, a record producer who has a credibility and put the tape in. <laughs> Tamsin. She was listening. She was listening to Ojo Taylor before Ojo Taylor was even <laughs> teaching. <laughs> uh, I, I guarantee that that some of our first listeners are graduates of the James Madison University music industry program. So shout out Ojo, shout out JMU, go Dukes. If you know, you know. <laughs> so next thing you know, he gives it to Simon Bates, who's the, the famous Radio 1 DJ. Mm. Yeah. And he just plays I'm Too Sexy off of the tape that she that she had, that she gave to Guy Holmes. I love this. <laughs> this is a plot point for that thing you do. Tell me it's not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if there's a guy driving around in an RV trying to pick up bands we're not far off though (laughs) we got a guy driving around a car trying to pick up women who just happened to have cassettes of a band that sounds like a punk band but is not at all and they're making gym rat songs from jersey yeah the only thing that we would need the icing on the cake would be if one of the rights of fred guys at the end is just like i quit i quit (laughs) i quit i mean well we know that now because they've released a ton of music since then that no one's ever listened to. Clearly it didn't <laughs> happen, but he plays it on radio one in like a primetime slot. And according to right said Fred, the phones went mental again, parking back to that. Thing right. Do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to know. I want to know what the, the thought process was from, from guy and then from Simon, because both of them had to have been just wowed by the song. And I, I guess the time, it just fit. <laughs> it just, even looking back, I just don't see how you hear that song for the first time with no context. It's saying like, yes, 
this is going to be a hit. Because I can look, I can listen to it now and say, like, all right, I get why that was a hit back in the day, <laughs> to some extent. But now, like, this song is so preposterous on it its is. face. Honestly, one of the, I think maybe the best part of the song is the horns. Like, the horns are amazing in this That's a good song. good point. So, I don't know, maybe, I mean, Ska was starting to get popular again. Like, maybe, maybe that's where it came from. Maybe. I'm going to give more credit to, like, Kenny G being hot at the time than maybe Scott. Si- maybe Simon was playing, like, some Madness records and then was like, oh, this would go great. Right I mean, it was. This. But this is, uh, I, I think, a, a prime example of how one man can make such a difference. Or woman. Uh, but, like, this is the time period that, like, whatever Simon put on would have an impact. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I like, I'm sure we can go back and find a bunch of like stinkers that were on BBC one, but like, you know, at the time, like there, there were just a couple uh, of real gatekeepers in the industry, which I don't think you have as much anymore, mm-hmm. but this was that time. I mean, even now everybody listens to BBC radio. Yeah. One. Like that's, that's still a huge thing to get played, but take away all the other ways to find music that we right. have now. And that's, the only thing you have really to hear the new songs. So first. you just had a couple tastemakers, him being one of them. And for whatever reason, this song captured his attention. The radio listeners are lighting up the phone lines. They want this song and they can't get this song. And people are like going crazy trying to find this song. So it's a whole thing. This is like you trying to find their first band song. Kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like me trying to find the actors. People are lighting up the phone lines. There's no record to be found. The band's totally unsigned. It's just them and their friend they met at this red bus place. That's it. That's the whole team. So they got a fucking bank loan to make the tapes, and they just sent them out to radio stations. They were still going. They're going off one tape at this point. Yes. Damn. Punk as hell. That's great. We're just going to go make these tapes, send them out. Yeah. They do eventually end up licensing the song Divergent down the road. But for now, it's all them. Got so popular in the UK that it then came stateside and people wanted to buy it here, but they couldn't get it here. Two countries that are very influential on Western music where people can't find this record. And I think it really built the kind of mystery around the song. What is this song about? Who are these guys? Is this a joke or not? And I can't find it anywhere, but I can't get it out of my head. Interesting. People were calling into American radio stations, and these radio stations were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard this song before. Because it's not like somebody's tweeting about this song they heard. If you don't know, you don't know. Right, right. I guess this is how hits happened back in the day. I never really fully considered that, because, you know, the years we worked in music, it's like, you get a song out at every radio station, you like, at least they have it. They might not play it, but they have it. Before the digital music was so ubiquitous, that you would literally send tapes out. And if a record, a radio station didn't have those tapes, didn't have their record. Right. Yeah. They're not playing it. There's no way. They're making their own tapes. They're doing their own PR. They're making their own costumes. What are the costumes? And apparently they're just having a, a lot of, well, like in the music, you'll see in the music <laughs> video, but they, they had a particular look. And they just really couldn't keep up. I mean, they're an independent band. They don't have any money. But they also don't have any debt from a major label. Like, they don't have to recoup anything. Fair. Are they still working at the gym? That I don't know. I really hope so. We assume. We we assume. Yeah. But yeah, they were like, we haven't spent any money because we don't have any money. We took a bank loan. That's it. 
kind of rare at the time, like that they get this far without a major label being involved in 92. We're still a couple years away from Offspring Smash, which was the biggest independent record ever. But like before that, yeah, they weren't getting songs on pop radio independently. It's true. And we're at a point where record labels are making money hand over fist. Someone's picking the song up. Someone's right. running with it. There's no risk involved at this point. People are throwing money at records. Right. But up to this point, they haven't done that yet. It's still just their song. Love it. So they're just building the story, which is incredible to think about. They get enough records made on their own, and then they tour the States. And there's a few pretty great stories of them touring in the States. There's one gig in Austin, Texas. They get there, and the whole parking lot is full of motorcycles, like choppers. (laughs) And their tour manager, Wally, says, you know, I think this could be a little rough. Like, this is like a, this is a biker bar. Some dudes from London wearing mesh tank tops. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. They they show up, and the place just goes berserk. They were all there to see. But wait, but they only know one song. These bikers have, (laughs) bikers are are motorcycling from miles away to here. They only know one song. I'm too sexy for my shirt. So I don't know what other songs they're playing. They might be playing, (laughs) uh, maybe they were like, hey, you guys like Joy Division? Do bikers like Joy Division? (laughs) <laughs> they're playing shows in the states and then they decide after the tour that they're going to uh go on a holiday while they're on this in this part of the world so they go to saint lucia and they're in this airport in saint lucia and the the phone on the wall in the airport rings and somebody answers it it's a patron in the airport and says is right said fred here out in the airport and the band's like, that's how we found out that we were number one. What? <laughs> if somebody called the airport in St. Lucia <laughs> because they knew Wright said Fred was at the airport. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Alright, caveat. I really hope that because Wright said Fred got their name from a song back in 62 in London, I want to know that St. <laughs> Lucia, the band, got their name from this story. <laughs> they were the first band to reach the number one slot in the united states with their debut single since the beatles whoa damn it was obviously a huge hit top of chart in america where it sold a million copies really quickly but what's crazy is that it reached number one in the states but it never reached number one in the uk no shit it just didn't make it who ended up re- releasing the album in the States? I think Virgin did. Okay. And they licensed it from the band. Was there... Oh, wow. Was yeah. there one... Was it, was it a single or is it an album? They did a full album. Okay. They did a full... I'm, I'm was sure it this, this song single, uh, 17 times over? <laughs> I'm sure that they did come out with a single or something, but the album's called Up. Um, and it has 10 songs, which is pretty short for that time. It is, yeah. Uh, but they've got songs in there such as Deeply Dippy. Mm hmm. Sure. Or uh, Don't Talk, Just Kiss. <laughs> and A Love for All Seasons. Uh, oh, I've well. not heard any of these songs. Uh, almost no one has. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you would think that 
Eventually. I'm gonna go back tomorrow and listen to the full album. <laughs> I just want. I'm know. sure a lot of people bought this the full you know CD or cassette though, and I'm sure they did. I bought a I bought a ton of full CDs and cassettes back in the day and listened to one song. Let's be yeah, but there was also many CDs that I had where it was not good, but I bought it with my own money and I'm gonna listen to it. And I'm gonna learn to love it. <laughs> yeah, true. That's very true. It was the fourth biggest seller in the UK that year. Surrounded by number ones, but it was the only song to reach number two. Hmm. Do you know why? 92, England. Yeah, at the time, when I was going to say uh, Elton John's Princess Die song was number mm-hmm. one for, for months, but that would have been like a couple years later. This is what's weird. I don't know. Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do For You. They never toppled Brian oh, Adams. Is that weird? That song, that song will never grace this podcast because... Everyone knows why that's a hit because that is just a fucking banger. <laughs> so of course people were listening to that forty two weeks in a row. Yeah, they never they they could never reach number one in their home country because Brian Adams was just sitting on top of the world with that song. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for Right Side Fred and and uh, and and DJ Johnny D or whatever his name was, but I. <laughs> I gotta give it up to Brian Adams. I read a really interesting quotation, and it was from a particular radio personality and voiceover performer who also was the artist responsible for Disco Duck. Just, yeah. (laughs) But he said, everyone is so busy in their lives that they don't have the time to devote to memorize every pop song, to know all the words. But this song comes along and you know that right said Fred is too sexy for a dozen things. And in a week, I can memorize that. <laughs> uh, I, I, he's not wrong. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. He's not wrong. Because I think all, like, if I asked you to recite all the lyrics to the song on a whim, I don't know that you necessarily could, but if you're listening along, you'd be singing along and you would know the next word every single time. It, it is that kind of song. People, people would just put other things in there like you didn't even have to know the words yes i'm too sexy I remember, for like, my beard. when i was young I'm too sexy for yep yeah i remember being young and like being at like sleepovers like the first couple sleepovers you ever had when you're like seven eight years old and you'd be like you know singing dumb songs together and you'd be like oh uh, i'm too sexy if whatever was around yeah, you exactly we, i vividly remember these moments so you're right it, it was yeah i'm too sexy has an iconic music video oh yeah let's do this you sent it to me, I, right? I think we need to watch it. Is the song called I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt? Or is it I'm Too Sexy? It's just I'm Too Sexy. Here it is. Oh, I do remember this video. Oh, so I guess one of the one of the brothers plays bass. So he's the bass player. So it was just three guys. Because he's playing bass in the video. Yeah, and they had the... Are they the ones that popularized the tank tops that are like... The, the, the strap is so skinny... Because it's like a ripped t-shirt. I mean, now that I'm seeing it... By the way, when they, when they do tear their shirt off, they look very Putin-esque. With their high-waisted <laughs> jeans. It's very reminiscent of the Putin picture of him on the horse. And I also feel like this is much closer to being the 1980s. Like, they're, they're still living in the 80s when we are moving towards the, the flannel shirts... And the grunge scene. These guys are just like, nah, fuck that. George Michael all the way. <laughs> but this is the perfect... Yeah, look, the leather jacket there looks just like George Michael. Uh, this is the perfect 
antidote for the dark brooding music that yeah. was <laughs> gaining tons of popularity at the time. Like this is like a little break. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of leather, uh, you know, in the video, there's a lot of mesh. I'm seeing that the, 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 there's a cat popping up here at the end of the video, which is out of nowhere a bit. Oh, the cat person. You know what? This was the same year that uh, that Batman Returns came out. Oh, interesting. So I, the leather Catwoman kind of checks out here. I will say the, the video, especially towards the end of it, the entire video feels tongue in cheek because they're doing it this does. like catwalk thing. They're they're trying to like mimic what they're kind of making fun of the whole like catwalk model type scene, which was huge at the time. Yeah, hundred percent. The fashion show started being shown on television. Like we really knew who models were. Like super. This is the age of the supermodel. Probably right. Yeah. This is like Cindy Crawford, Christy Brinkley. This is the rise of the supermodel. Yeah. Yeah. If I'd watched this early nineties, I would I would not have understood the tongue in cheek nature. But now watching it, knowing the full story, you can tell that like they're being sarcastic with it to a certain extent. Especially at the end when they're like laughing it off, like oh fuck this, like this is very like. This is silly. In retrospect, you can tell. I don't think I ever picked that up. And I've seen this video in my adult life several times. Oh, yeah. Usually, like, 3 a.m. when I get to a hotel room in another country and, like, the MTV channel is on. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to look up the making of the video. Like, I wanted to know, you know, what went on. Because the the video was ridiculous. And I couldn't really find a whole lot. It's just, that's the evidence we have. That's all we have is this. Such a goofy band. Where did the band go? Where did the band go? Well, it's pretty much it's pretty much the classic story. They had a couple minor hits in other countries that picked up here and there. Nothing again in the states. I'm not sure if there's anything else in the UK. But they continued to tour. They still tour. They still tour. They've got a cult following that go to their shows. They still do the whole act, the shirtless thing with the tank tops. I I did see one clip where one of the guys was wearing like the inflatable muscles, which is pretty funny. They are still doing their thing, as Wright said, Fred. I love this. You know, growing up, both of us obviously loved music and were in bands and had friends that were in bands and, and parents around, you know, all every, every parent was said, well, you still got to work on your studies because you can't be in a rock band forever. And you're probably not going to become famous. Right. Well, these guys bucked that trend. You can have one minor hit and still be a rock band decades later. You can get drunk, take your shirt off, and get rich. Kid Rock heard that and said, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, by the way, Right Side Fred, if you go in there to Spotify, looks like they're about to drop the dopest new podcast. (laughs) Someone needs to give them like an HGTV show. I would watch an HGTV show hosted by Right Side Fred. Right, that's what I'm saying. Right Side Fred has a greatest hits album. <laughs> they have they have one song and they have an entire album of greatest hits. To be fair, it's called Hits. That's not greatest hits. It is the uh, is hit. Uh, I'm too sexy, obviously, being the first song. I guarantee that hits. They re-recorded yep. all their old stuff. So that they could make all the master yep. money. And it's on so you, what sexy you're records. Is Right Side Fred was the original Taylor Swift. Well, that's a great <laughs> seg because 
the most recent thing that happened with this song is that Taylor Swift sampled the song for Look What You Made Me Do. Really? Yeah. Famously. Oh. And I think she and Jack Antonoff wrote that song. The vocal melody is like the exact same thing. Look what you made me do. I am too sexy for Milan. And hit up Right Said Fred and got the license and paid them. And then obviously they they get royalties from that. And that song was huge. Yeah. Good for them. God damn. Some other recent occurrences that involve the song. I, I remember seeing this episode. The band appeared on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Oh, really? They performed a rendition of the song because Bashar al-Assad, the horrible Syrian dictator, he had mm-hmm. downloaded the song from the iTunes store. And John Oliver was amazed by this. So he had the band on to do I'm Too Sexy and dedicate it to Bashar al-Assad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... So please stop downloading our tracks. Stop downloading our tracks. Here's your money back. Why do I not remember this? It was 2014. Um, a lot has happened since 2014. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. (laughs) Um, not as recent, but one of my favorite bits is that uh, Jay Z shouts out Right Said Fred. In his 2001 song, The Ruler's Back. But my favorite thing that I remember about Right Said Fred is an old SNL skit that I sent you the link to that I think we need to. C-SPAN now resumes coverage of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings on the internet right. music swapping site Napster. Okay, Mr. Said Fred, you have a prepared statement. Yes, sir, I do. There was a time when I was too sexy for my shirt. Now I find myself forced to be too sexy for copyright infringement. My livelihood depends on my ability to sell copies of my many hit songs, like I'm Too Sexy and other songs that I may one day write. Oh, uh, excuse me uh, for a minute, Mr. Uh, said Fred. I vaguely remember this, I feel like. Now, we have here up-to-date records, and since the inception of Napster, your work has been downloaded, uh, let me check here. Hmm. Okay. Never. Oh, I see. Frequently, when I think of Right Said Fred, I think of Conan O'Brien playing Right, right Said Fred as one guy. <laughs> I feel, forever feel that way. To be fair, I always thought that Right Side Fred was one man. Probably named Fred. That is the story, the story of, of Right Side I'm Fred. Too Sexy by Right Side Fred. Wow. You know, it still doesn't hit on why people resonated with this song. All of America, although a lot of people in this world seemingly resonated with this song in 92, 94, or whatever. The world. Are we all gym rats deep down inside? Maybe. You know what? I might actually try working out to this song and see. Maybe that's what I need to do. I need to work out to it. And then I'll realize that the people who are taking it seriously were the ones that were right about it all. When when the coronavirus pandemics lift and we can start going to live shows again, I want to go to Right Side, Right Said Fred show, 
see what the crowd looks like and see what they respond to. It is now my life goal to experience that in person. If nothing else, though, I do want to go to one of their shows. I want to purchase their merch because I bet they got some fucking t-shirts, awesome fanny packs, keychains, sweatbands. I think we owe it to ourselves to go to a Right Side Fred show, figure out how to meet them. Heck, send him the episode. And then we go out for a wild night with the Fairbrass Brothers. I'm so ready for that. That's a wrap on episode one of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting I'm Too Sexy out of your head for the next week. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. We have so many more weird and wild songs lined up for you. And follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. And make suggestions for songs for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and B.O. Bibler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.